Hello. Hey y'all, how you doing? Dave, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Dave Braley. Hello, Dave. And you have a background in history? Yep, bachelor's in history with a minor in uh, English Lit. So you're well-read? Yes. So you are prepared for our first episode mm -hmm. of Clubbed by Classics. And by the yeah. way, I'm Dinah. I should probably introduce myself, too. Hello. Hi, Dinah. <laughs> um, yes. I am not as well-read as you are, and I don't have a college degree. Okay. So... I may not be able to keep up with you on some of these classic books, but I've read a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And I have read this one that we're talking about today. Yes. I specifically read it for this episode. Yeah. I had never had any desire to read it before. Oh, okay. Now, this is not your first time reading it, right? No, this is at least my third and maybe as many as five or six times. Okay, so why don't you tell me what we're reading and tell me your experience with the book before okay. we start reviewing. So we're reading The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, mm -hmm. which many people will tell you, and I would be on that page, that this is one of the great American novels. Mm -hmm. um, my experience with this book, actually the first time I read it, was kind of for a, a young woman who is sort of my own Daisy. Oh, okay. Um, I was in a, an honors uh, program at UT that took us to a study abroad, mm -hmm. and it was the summer that Baz Luhrmann's uh, movie version of this came out. Okay, that and was 2014? 13. Okay. Yeah. Um, and this, this young woman had read the book and loved the book and was talking about how she was so excited to see it. And I mean, nothing ever happened between her and I. That's the mm -hmm. one of the big difference between you know her and Daisy. Right. But she was just sort of young and fashionable and pretty, and I respected everything, and brilliant. I mean, more importantly, this young woman is brilliant, and I respect every intellectual opinion that comes out of her mouth. Okay. And she raved about this book. So okay. So I went and bought a copy and read through it in like two days. So you read this book for a pretty girl, mm -hmm. and now you love it because a pretty girl told you to love it. No. No, I read the book for the pretty girl, but I love the book. See, and I think we're very quickly going to get into the part where we start tearing this book apart because you referred to her as your Daisy. Mm -hmm. My first impression, and this never left me, of Daisy is, wow, she is incredibly one-dimensional. She is dumb as a doorpost. Her entire, entire character is, I am a woman. She's not intelligent, she's not funny, she's not mean, she's not anything. She is, I am a woman, and I am wealthy. No, she is, as Gatsby later says, rich. Yes, okay. And that's the, that's the crux of that character, I think, is that I think there's a lot more going on than she lets on, but she's a rich woman in the jazz age. Married yes. to an extremely rich man, and her whole function in life is to be pretty and a mother. And I don't mean that a woman in the jazz age could not be all of those other things while being rich. I don't mean a woman today can't be right. rich and not. all of those other things. I mean Daisy is written as very one-dimensional. She is written with no character traits. She is rich woman. That's her personality in the book. That's it. She has no other dimensions. Even when you're talking about like her love story with Gatsby, it is written so flat that it's like, are you sure she loves him? Because she's a piece of paper. That's because I feel like this story is written, A, from the first person perspective of a man mm -hmm. who is in love with her about two other men who are also in love with her. Right, is... but he doesn't write the men any better. Gatsby, his entire personality is rich man. He has no personality. That's because Fitzgerald is disdainful of the rich. He doesn't think the rich have any personality. He thinks their okay, entire personality but is But you can bank. write them as having no personality and give them a personality that you disdain. These characters have nothing. These characters are, if you're not looking straight at them and you try to look at them from the side, they disappear because they are so one-dimensional, there's nothing there. I think that's intentional. I but think it, he... it's not well-written, though. Oh, see, I think that's incredibly well-written. I think he's intentionally wanting you to see that these extremely rich people who, and he's even sort of, I mean, he's not <laughs> predicting because you can't really, you know, you 
he wasn't predicting the future. But in many ways, he's showing the attitudes and the flatness of these people that caused the crash. Because this book, you know, do you know when this book was set? It is set in 1922, I believe, and it was actually written in 25. Right, so right before the market crash. Right when the only thing that mattered to anybody was make money, make money, make more money. Right. And that was all of these people's personalities. But none of these people are even making money. These are all just rich. Caraway does. Just rich. Caraway's not just rich. But he's the only character that has anything close to a personality. The narrator has very little personality, but he has a personality. Which is weird because he's the only character that you don't remember the name of because he's boring as fuck. And you're like, oh, just shut up. Just shut up. The whole time. <laughs> You're giving me this. See, I disagree. I, I, I love to listen to, to Nick talk. See, and to me, this whole whole thing felt like listening to your coworker's drama when your coworker is an idiot, and you just want them to shut the fuck up about their honor student. And it's, you know, six in the morning, and you haven't had your first cup of coffee yet, and you're like... I don't give a fuck about your honor student and their new girlfriend. Just shut the fuck up. I don't care about your family's drama. Sorry about that. That's going to be on recording. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> you turn that off. Okay, so let's talk about some of the things that are happening. Okay. So, chapter the first couple of chapters, we get all of the first descriptions of what the narrator likes and doesn't like, and we meet Daisy and her mm-hmm. husband, what's his name, Tom? Tom. Tom is an ass. Yes, and that's, that is that is pointed out from the first time you meet Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, did you catch that first description he gives of Tom? And if I can find it, I'm going to have to pull the, the quote. I, I, yeah, I didn't write that down. Um, I'm going to see if I can find it. Where is it at? Um, yeah, see, and my first impression of Tom was, wow, you're an ass. Oh, and you're a racist, too. There we go. Oh, absolutely a racist. Oh, yeah. But that was intentional. And you can tell that the narrator looks down on him for being a racist. Yes. And throughout the entire beginning of the book, he's talking about how he looks for the best in people, and he has a good attitude about people because of something his dad taught him. Right. And you can tell that he hates Tom oh, yeah. and just isn't saying it. Now, that, I think, was really well done. See, I like... Uh, the very first description of Tom he gives, because he had met Tom in college. They went to Yale mm-hmm. together. He describes Tom Buchanan as a national figure in L.A., one of those men who reached such an acute, limited excellence at 21 that everything afterwards savors of anticlimax. Yeah. Just now, fuck. I thought that was very well written, and that tells you a lot about him as a person. Yes. And then that informs every opinion of him later Mm -hmm. that you're like oh yeah this is a guy who peaked at 21 yeah this is and he i think he's a what was he a college football player and he describes him as being this big hulking guy and okay yeah we all know that type we know what he's talking about and when i started the book i thought here on page three there's there's this famous line that everybody talks about um no gatsby turned out all right at the end which is debatable yeah um it's what preyed on Gatsby, what foul dust floated in the wake of his dreams, that temporarily closed out my interest in the abortive sorrows and short-winded elations of men. The abortive okay. sorrows and short-winded elations of men. Mm-hmm. He's talking about toxic masculinity. He's talking about how male culture insists that whether you're sad or you're happy, you cut your emotions short. You don't show emotion. You are simply masculine. Okay. I, okay, I can agree with that. That that is a good description, and I think there are and there are spots in this book that I mean maybe I'll just skip ahead and read one of his descriptions in this book mm-hmm. that is phenomenal. I read this description and went wow, and then I went back and reread it and I took a screenshot of it because I did yeah. audiobook. Oh okay. Um, About halfway between West Egg and New York, the motor road hastily joins the railroad and runs beside it for a quarter of a mile so as to shrink away from a certain desolate area of land. This is a valley of ashes, a fantastic farm where ashes grow like wheat into ridges and hills and grotesque gardens where ashes take the form of houses and chimneys and rising smoke and finally, with a transcendent effort, of men who move dimly and already crumbling through the powdery air. 
Occasionally a line of gray cars crawls along an inevitable track, gives out a ghastly creak, and comes to rest, and immediately the ash-gray men swarm up with laden spades and stir up an impenetrable cloud which screens their obscure operations from your sight. Mm-hmm. I read that paragraph and thought, why the fuck isn't the rest of the book written this way? That paragraph is so evocative. That paragraph paints this amazing, gorgeous picture in your head of the train area. And it's it's you're driving past a train yard. And that's all you're doing. You're just driving past a train yard. But you can see all of those those ashes that grow like wheat into ridges and hills. You can see that. Mm-hmm. the way he paints it and that actually made me hate this book even more because the rest of this book <laughs> i was left going why aren't you describing it like the ash hills describe it like you described the ash people describe daisy's personality to me the way you described those ash men with their with their uh, laden shovels Describe her to me that way and make me give a fuck about these characters. But Daisy, Tom, Jordan, even yes, you're right, Jay Gatsby, they are hollow. Then describe that to me. Describe their hollowness in a way that makes me ache for how empty they are or makes me angry with Tom. Don't describe it in a way where you're saying, and Tom was a racist who peaked at 21. Because that's all you've given me. And now I don't care about it. I don't think he wants you to care. He wants you to feel like these people have nothing to offer me, so why should I continue reading about them? Because they're empty. But that makes me not want to read the book. The rest of the book is written like, honestly, it read like the first draft of a novel written by a promising high school student. This is a book that could be good. This is a book with talent and promise and potential. And you're like, "Mm, let's make these characters a little bit more. Let's make these characters somebody that I can love or hate or love and hate. Or that I can read about them and go, wow, that's, I don't care about that character very much. But give them some color. He's a world builder. The world has color and doesn't have color. But the only part of the world that had color was that scene. The rest of the world, it's like, okay, this is boring again. He can't even keep straight the color of Gatsby's car. Did you notice that? Early in the book, he refers to this car as being cream-colored. Later in the book, this becomes a yellow car. It becomes a yellow car in eyewitnesses' eyes in the dark after a car accident. And it stays a yellow car. Right, but because that's what they're looking for. He can't for. keep that straight. But cream and yellow, I mean... To, cream and yellow are not the to same. To my eyes, to the colorblind eye, if I'm not paying attention, I could tell you it's cream, I could tell you it's yellow, and I could mean the same thing. Okay, but to most people, cream and yellow are not the same thing. There is a difference between cream and yellow. There is a striking difference between cream and yellow. White and cream. Silver, maybe, and cream. Yellow and maybe some shades of gold or brown. But cream and yellow are not the same color. See, to me, that, that I, I think of cream as sort of a yellow light, which is the point of calling it cream and or yellow. Because did you notice in the past, he's describing when Gatsby and Daisy first meet, mm-hmm. what color is her dress? I don't remember. It's white. Okay. What color is her car? I don't remember. It's white. Everything in Louisville, everything in Gatsby's past when he described it to Nick okay. is white. Everything is white. It's pure and clean and new. And everything in the present is yellow or it's green or it's mm-hmm. ash. It's dirty because we have this tendency as human beings to look at the past and forget all okay. of the, the, ne- the negativity. You are really into the metaphors of this book. Yes. So explain this scene to me. Okay. The very first time that the narrator goes to Gatsby's party. And I'm just going to call him the narrator because I am not going to remember the character's name. Because I didn't give enough of a fuck to go back and look it up. Yes. So he's just the fucking narrator from now on. 
So the first time he goes to one of these parties, he's describing this lavish party. And actually, that's another good scene where he's describing all of these beautiful people that you are clearly supposed to be disdaining them because these are the Kardashians of our day. These are the people that we love to look down on for being more wealthy than we are. Right. Whatever you think about people like the Kardashians... That's what we like to do. Yes. We like to tear them down. And so that's what he's doing. He has He's showing this lavish party right. where these people who don't even know who Gatsby is are showing up. And at several points in the party, he's asking who Gatsby is. And everyone's like, I don't know who that is. I don't know. I haven't met him yet. I just come for the party. Right. And he sits there at the table at one point and he's chatting with this guy. And he says something to the effect of... I haven't even met Gatsby yet. The narrator says mm-hmm. this to the guy he's talking to, and the guy he's talking to is like, I'm Gatsby. Uh-huh. They're next door neighbors. Yes. <laughs> and they have never met, and this is how he introduces himself. Uh-huh. Okay, so there's a scene in this party where the narrator and uh, what's her name, the golfer, because uh, that's the Jordan. other female character in the book, is female golfer. Jordan Baker. And that's her entire. And I would say, honestly, as much as I feel like she's a very flat character, I think she has more personality than Daisy. Intentionally so. She has been given more reason to love and hate her. Mm-hmm. Even though she's not very well written, she's a person at least. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the book, what you feel about her is based on things that actually happened in the book. Mm-hmm. Instead of like Daisy where what I feel about her is based on the fact that she didn't even exist in the book. She was so fucking flat and boring. So poorly written. And I know, you you love Daisy, but mm-hmm. I just don't. So, anyway, at this party, he and Jordan, they are wandering around the house. They haven't even met Gatsby yet. They're wandering around the house, and they wander into the library, and there's this drunk guy sitting in the library. Uh-huh. And they're looking for Gatsby. They find this drunk guy, and this drunk guy is looking around the library saying he can't believe that these books are real. Yeah. Why would they not be real? Because that's a historical thing. Why would there not be books in the library? Because that's a historical thing. Books are a sign of, at this point in history, are a sign of wealth and a sign of prestige. People had books in the 30s, David. Yes, but a lot of times people would have fake libraries. You would take a book out and it would just be blank pages in a cover that said Moby Dick. Why would you have blank books? Because it makes you look important. Oh, he's got Moby Dick. No, he doesn't. You know, or he's got a first pressing of the Scarlet Letter. No, he doesn't. He's got a, a, a cover for the first pressing of the Scarlet Letter. Because, again, rich people are fake. So the fact that Gatsby Okay, so this is a metaphor for books. how fake Gatsby is. No, because Gatsby has real books. Oh, okay. That's, that's more of a description that Gatsby is actually different than most rich people. He's, okay. You know, he actually has books. He actually has We're supposed to be impressed by Gatsby. And I think this is one of those things that maybe is lost to time because I'm not impressed by Gatsby. I'm really not either. To be honest, I'm not that impressed by Gatsby as a person. He's kind of a shitty person and he's a liar. And the way he treats Daisy, that that very last scene before the car accident where he and Tom are arguing, Mm -hmm. the way that both of them are treating Daisy pisses me off. Makes me so angry. She is nothing more than an accessory. For both of them. To anybody, which, that's pretty historically accurate. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is the 1920s. Women were, in the United States, just getting the right to vote. I mean, at this point, it was not even 10 years since women in the United States could vote. Right. So, well, yeah, I mean, reading that's that scene, pretty accurate scene. Yeah, and reading that scene, my note on that scene was, why don't either of you let Daisy speak for herself and for what she? Oh, right, uh-huh. she's a woman. She's you a woman. You don't care what she wants. And then the second that he writes her as speaking for herself, she's just a blubbering little mess and a child. It's just, it's like, really, that's it, that's it. You're finally gonna give her her voice and make her a blubbering child. Fine. Fine. Let me pull my cup. <laughs> I just don't remember that scene that well because I wrote something different. I want to reread what that. Want to reread that scene. See, and I agree with you that the men in the book treat her like she is nothing. Yeah. But before that, um, yeah. Go ahead. So, talking. let me see. There was one. There was a scene in particular I wanted to talk about. Oh, the husband is cheating. Tom is cheating. Mm-hmm. Yes. And. 
he takes his wife's cousin, the narrator, because Daisy is the narrator's cousin. Yeah. He takes Daisy's cousin to meet the woman he's cheating on Daisy with. I want you to meet my girl. What the fuck is that? It's just the times. It's, what the it's, fuck? It's fucked up. And the narrator, you're right. And the funny thing is, I won't call him by his name even though I know it, because going into this book, <laughs> I could not remember. I was like, wait a minute, does the narrator have a name? Because you do, you do lose, Nick is his name, but you do lose him. He doesn't have much there to remind you of. Um, oh, I wish I had written down where this was. But to that, I thought, I thought it was hilarious. There's a line in there when it's first handed out. Jordan says something to, uh, to Nick about, mm-hmm. you know, oh, he's talking on the phone to his, to his girl in New oh, York. Oh, and it's not even hinted. It is very mm-hmm. clear. She says he has a girl in okay. New York. But he, and it's because Daisy has gotten up from the table. It's the first time that you meet any of the three of them. Tom, right, Jordan. It's at, it's at, they're at, they're at lunch or dinner or whatever it is. And the phone rings. Tom gets up to take it. And Daisy gets up after a couple yeah. minutes to join him. And Jordan is like, shh, I want to hear this. And she's like, he has a girl in New York. It's not a secret. Yeah, Everybody knows. I don't have the exact line in front of me. and see if I can find it really quickly. But, but he... he so he takes, he takes his cousin, his wife's cousin, to meet the woman that he's sleeping with behind his wife's back. And let me see. They, they go to this house, and it's an apartment, I guess, that he's renting for his girlfriend. And his girlfriend wants to get a dog to keep at the apartment. But yeah. she doesn't actually live at the apartment no. because she's married too. Yeah, she's shitty too. And that scene where we where we described the the Ash people and all of that. Yeah, that's, that's the scene where they're driving out to see right. the girlfriend. I know exactly what it is. And they meet her in the city, and they go and buy a dog to keep in the apartment. Why did they buy a dog to keep in an apartment that nobody lives in? Why did they buy this dog? Because they're shitty rich people, and shitty rich people do whatever the fuck they want. Regardless of the consequences. That honestly, that is what disturbs me the most about this book. Why did they buy this dog? Oh no, I, I am concerned about the dog and more so than anything I. else. And then there's a scene. Is there gay sex in this book? Do you remember how all of that ends? You have the book in front of you. Mm-hmm. Well, so what I was while well, you're finding that, what I was going to say is that line when they first introduced it, that Tom's having an affair. Mm-hmm. Um, where was it? I just found it. Damn it! Here we. Uh... I just had it. But basically the line is something like that, uh, that that Nick finds Tom's affair less surprising than the fact that Tom is depressed by a book. Yeah. Damn, what a slight. Yeah. I mean, we've already introduced Tom. Yeah. I'm surprised he can read. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But he's a you know, football player. So no there is... Yeah, and that's exactly how he is described is just basically as a football player. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about with the gay sex. So I didn't... Let's see, was it four or five? Um, I didn't write it down. I already returned my copy. Um, Let's see, where did I put it? Oh no, I know I wrote it down. There's a scene. So he... See if I can remember this. He goes to this apartment that Tom is renting for his girlfriend so that they can get together. Yeah. The girlfriend joins them, and the girlfriend's sister joins them, and then their neighbors from downstairs join them. Right. The neighbors, the man is a... Photographer. A photographer, and his wife is there, and they're not a really great couple. You can tell they don't like each other very much. They're kind of snipping at each other. (laughs) And then there's a scene at the end of that chapter. They all get blackout drunk. Yes. The very end of the chapter is... He decides to go back to the photographer's apartment to see some of his photographs. Okay. And the scene is described as the photographer in bed, covered up with a blanket, and wearing nothing. And the narrator is getting up and leaving. And I'm like, are are they alluding to gay sex? I, you know, I don't know. And then it's just never brought up again. These characters never come back. And you're like, wait a minute. Wait, there could be a story there. You could have a story here. It's the one right after Tom punches his girlfriend in the face and breaks her nose. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, and actually, I think I have found it. Let me let me look this over because okay. you're right. This is after when everybody's blackout drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, well, while you're looking that up, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of these parties. Yes. Because... 
The narrator spends several paragraphs just giving a list of names of people who attend the party. These are not characters in the book. These are not real historical figures. It is just a list of names for several fucking boring ass paragraphs. Introduce some of these characters. Tell me about some of these characters. No, it's just John and Joan were there. And Sarah was there, but not with her husband. And Michael was there with three beautiful women. And just goes on and on and on and on and on, just listing people that don't matter. That are not characters. Right, none of them matter. But they're just, what is the point? Why do I want to read a paragraph of a list of names? I can write a list of names. Is it interesting to you if I write a list of the names of my coworkers? Is that interesting to you? And to what you're saying, I don't think that that's referring to gay sex. I think you're misremembering it. Okay, well, read. So this is after, the way this is all written, for those who haven't read it, is it's a lot of ellipses, so it's clearly just like snippets of what he can remember being mm -hmm. fucking hammered. Yes. Um, I was standing beside his bed, and he was sitting up between the sheets, clad in his underwear with a great portfolio in his hands. It sounds to me like they probably both passed out a little bit drunk, and... When the, the, the photographer wakes up, he's like, hey, do you want to look at this? And it's Beauty and the Beast, Loneliness, Old Grocery Horse, The Brooklyn Bridge. And then the next thing he remembers is waking up at Pennsylvania Station, waiting for a train. Yes. I don't think they're alluding to gay sex. And the, it could be. What was the point of that scene? I got drunk and don't remember what happened. Yes. Make the scene matter to me. Because the scene mattered to me when I was like... Hey, is he alluding to something more in a very 1920s style? Because in the 1920s, you can't come right out and say, I blew this man. I mean, maybe. Maybe that's something that I'm just not picking up on. I mean, it just, to me, it's like, no, no, d tell me more about that. Give me more of that. And knowing a little of the history of Fitzgerald, while I don't think there's anything in his history that indicates that he was ever involved with men, he was involved a little bit in the 20s party scene, the 20s right. socialite scene, especially because his wife, Zelda Fitzgerald, was. Right. She was a well-known socialite, and yeah. she was one of the original flappers. In fact, there is there is a theory that the term flapper was originally used referring to her. Oh, I didn't know that. And they don't know for sure, because it's right. hard to track down exactly where that term comes from, but at least in the United States, there there is historical... Not quite evidence, but they're reading back over like magazines and social papers of the time. She is the first person we can find in the United States being called a flapper. Oh, interesting. She was a bit of a party girl. She was a socialite. She was upper middle class to wealthy mm -hmm. when they met and continued to be throughout their life. She was also crazy, mm -hmm. which, you know, by modern standards, if she had just received some proper care, she wouldn't have been. Right. But... That kind of, that scene right there to me was like, is he kind of alluding to the possibility that male characters at the time party too much and have a little too much fun together? I mean, maybe. Is he alluding to something? And if so, tell me more about that. You don't even have to get into details. Tell me more about that. It could be. I, I don't I don't know. I didn't There's also, up. when he's describing the, uh, the... The photographer. The first mm -hmm. time the photographer comes on the scene, he describes him, and my first thought was, oh, he's gay-coded. The photographer's gay. Oh, yes. I mean, obviously. So when it gets to that scene, I'm like, uh, you spent the night with the gay photographer, and the gay photographer is in his bed in his underwear now. Is this an allusion to they had some gay sex? And if so, tell me more. It could be. Make um... that narrator interesting. But yeah, I, 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 can, I can see how, how, how you read that absolutely uh, McKee is gay-coded photographer. Oh, he definitely 100%. is. 100%. And I don't remember how he's described, but there's a way that he's described when he's first introduced that it's like, oh yeah, he's gay. It's, Which, in the art scene in the 1920s, was not uncommon. Right. Yeah, and, and I don't think he's, he calls his wife a beard, but there's some way that the relationship... No, there's a way that that wife. relationship is described that you can tell that... This is the art scene in the 20s, and, you yeah. know, we're talking about a gay man or a bisexual man. Right. Um, let me see. Let me see if I can actually find that. 
But again, I, th- I think the fact that a lot of these people are empty and hollow is an intentional metaphor for the fact that the Jazz Age was empty and hollow. From the outside, it looked beautiful and opulent and full of life and music and drinking. Right. But there was fucking nothing there. But you just described it with more detail and in a way that is more compelling than this book does. You described it as all of those things and told me you painted a picture of it. The book is like, it's the 1920s. And here's a list of people who were at a big party. You're going to hate Hemingway when we get to Hemingway. Oh, I hate Hemingway so much. I love Hemingway. The little bit of Hemingway that I have read is so boring. I love Hemingway. Oh my God, so boring. See, I like Hemingway because he can tell you the story without telling you much of anything at all. He can paint the picture without you have, without having to paint every single little detail of it. This this style of writing is the exact opposite of people like Alexandre Dumas or, uh, oh, that fucking boring French guy that wrote The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is the opposite of that. Where you, in, in that literature, you describe every fucking cobblestone. See, and we won't get really deeply into it, but right now I'm reading Les Mis, and that's... That's the feeling I'm getting there. Was oh my god, shut the fuck up! Yes. You don't need to talk for that long. Right. You have just spent three paragraphs describing a spoon. Yes. I don't need to know every detail of this spoon. Right. And this style of writing is the complete rejection of that. And okay, I I can get where that's coming from, but that doesn't make this good. Mm-hmm. That just makes this boring. There is an in between there. So let's go on with the book. So. Eventually, uh, Gatsby tells the narrator that he has been in love with Daisy for years. Apparently, they dated a few years ago because Daisy's only been married for five years. Right, and Daisy, do you know how old she is? He's he's describing her as basically an old and fading flower. She's like 22 or something in this book. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, and, and he says her age in this book, and she is very young for the way he's describing her. And honestly, that was the part of the description I actually liked because I didn't take that as, oh yeah, she's 25, she's old. I took that as she has lost all of her youth and beauty since getting married to Tom. Yes. Tom has squashed her. Right. That was one of those things that I read that and was like, oh, expand on that. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about that. Make me care that Daisy has lost that beauty. Make me care about that. But then he doesn't. He just stops. Which is, again, where I think this is very well written for a first draft of a high school student. Because if I read this book, if someone handed me this as a manuscript and was like, read this and tell me what you think, I would be like, this is excellent and this is excellent. And here where you describe Daisy, expand on that. Tell me more about that. Tell me how Daisy has lost that beauty. Paint me a picture of Daisy. Not just rich lady. Give me more. So that's the point of the style of writing, is they give you minimalist details and let you paint the That picture. doesn't make it a good style. I like it. I mean, the point of the style doesn't make the style a good style. I enjoy that style. It's just really do. boring. Because you never care about anybody in the book. Okay, so we're going to move on. We so about... Gatsby admits that he's in love with Daisy and has been, and he wants to get back together with Daisy, So he has the narrator invite her for lunch so that they can meet again, and they start this affair. Right. Fine. Whatever. They start an affair. And the husband finds out. Uh, He actually finds out because he has a phone call with his girlfriend that makes him realize that his wife is cheating on him, and he gets mad. He gets mad when he finds out from a conversation with his girlfriend that his wife is cheating. Oh yeah, I thought there at the end where he's screaming about family values that that was really rather I, ironic. Okay. Intentional the part where he's screaming about family values, I read that thinking, "Wow, is he a Republican?" Cuz I think he's a Republican now. Oh yeah. Screaming about family values while blowing a male prostitute in a bathroom. And that was I think intentionally given to Tom. I that think was so. Absolutely. Irony. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, and, uh, okay, then that scene where he is screaming about it and family values, he makes a comment that 
the breakdown of the family is going to lead to interracial marriage. Yes. That's the part where I was like, oh, you're a Republican now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Now. Absolutely. Your problem with your wife cheating is the breakdown of the family, and you found out your wife is cheating from your girlfriend. Yeah. And you're afraid that this will lead to interracial marriage. Yeah. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Just oh, fuck yeah. you. Oh, completely. Just, just run for president because the Republicans will vote for you. Fuck you. Yes. Which, by the way, if the audience has not figured this out, I am not a Republican. Yeah. And I mean, that's absolutely, I think, the whole point of, of that scene specifically. But Tom, is he's trying to show just how completely stupid some of these men were. And uh-huh. how, how backwards and ironic it was that they would sit there and scream about the family and things like interracial marriage mm-hmm. while they were fucking anything that had a pussy. Yes. Yes. So then the girlfriend's husband also realizes that she's been cheating, doesn't know who with, and he is business acquaintances with Tom, so he knows Tom, and he tells Tom that he has found out his wife is cheating and has locked her in the house. Yeah. Tom's response is to get in his car and drive away. Yes. Not get involved. He is holding her hostage in his house. He has told you he intends to force her to get on a train and leave the state with him. Yeah. And you're just going to drive the fuck away. I hate you, Tom. Mm-hmm. Tom sucks. Yes. I I just, I hate him. He is a bad person. He's awful. He's, He's a bad. a human being. <laughs> and is, at the end, the reason that Gatsby gets what Gatsby gets. Yes. Yes. So let's get to that. So yes. I'm, we'll, we're going to work our way through that because, so she's been locked in the house. Yeah. They, at this point, it's Gatsby and Tom and the narrator and uh, the golfer chick. Jordan. Yeah. Jordan. They have gone to go party in the city. Mm-hmm. With Daisy. Because it's summertime. And Daisy. Yeah. They've gone to go party in the city because it's hot and they don't want to be at home. So they've rented out a hotel room. They're all going to party. Tom realizes that, you know, his wife is cheating on him. There's this big fight where he's a racist dick about it. He decides to run for Republican president. Right. Um, he announces his nomina- his uh, candidacy for president by screaming about interracial marriage. And they all decide to leave the hotel and go back home. Right. They're on their way home. Tom insists that Daisy and Gatsby should ride together. And I... Okay, fine. I, I think he's kind of like trying to force this because now at this point, Daisy is crying and begging Tom not to leave her. And she's just this blubbering little mess and doesn't know what she wants. So he makes her ride with Gatsby. They are driving separately in separate cars. And as they're coming through the city, they see a car accident has happened. And by they, I mean Jordan, Tom, and the narrator right. have seen that there's a car accident. They pull over to see what happens. It turns out that what happened is that the girlfriend had escaped from her husband and run out into the street and got hit by a car, and she is now lying dead. Yes. And there's a description of the car that hit her. Tom immediately realizes that the car that hit her is Gatsby's car. Yes. And goes and tells the husband to just chill out and relax and stop talking to the police. Right. And then he goes home. They all go home. Okay. He's a dick. Oh, he's an asshole. Completely. Because the next thing that happens... So we we get past that. We're we're just going to ignore that for the moment. And then Jordan is like being all lovey with the narrator. And the narrator's like, we just saw a woman die. I'm going to need some time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to drop you back off because she's staying with Tom and Daisy. I'm going to drop you back off at Tom and Daisy's place. I'm going to go home. Yep. She ends up breaking up with him for this. Mm-hmm, because he doesn't want to talk about it. She dumps him because they just saw a woman die. And he wants a few minutes. Mm-hmm. She's a dick. Yes. I don't like her either. No. Well, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's more than implied in there that she cheats at golf. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. She's not a good person. No. No, and she is probably the only person with real character traits, which is why I hate her. Because she's well-written enough to have a personality you can hate. Mm-hmm. And I like that in a character. Because she's kind of vapid, and she's cheating at golf, and yeah, she's just seen as the rich girl, but she's the rich girl with personality. As opposed to Daisy, who is just rich. Just rich girl. Nothing else. Was also a Southern Belle. 
and a debutante, and that was just sort of the personality of the rich Southern Belle at the time. I have a feeling that the rich Southern Bells at the time had actual personality. But that was how their preparation for the world made them act towards the world. They were taught that okay. you are simply a daisy, just a white flower. So write her in a way that makes me love or hate her. Give her a personality. I completely, completely hate her, especially there at the end. Once once Nick gets back and he's going and waiting for his Tell taxi. Tell us what happens. So Nick, you're right. Nick gets back. He's sitting outside waiting for his taxi. And Jordan comes out and is like, hey, you want to talk about this? I really like you. Before you finish, just in case anyone has not read the book, we're going to spoil the end right now. Yes. If you don't want the end spoiled, you probably should stop listening to this episode or skip ahead to when we start our ratings phase. Right. So, so go ahead. So... Jordan comes out, like you were saying, and Nick mm-hmm. is basically like, look, I need a minute. I need more than just a little bit, little bit of time because I am not a man of abortive sol- sorrows and short manipulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, you're right. She basically goes, well, fuck you then. Yeah. And yeah. breaks up with him. And so he goes down to the curb and is waiting, and out of the bushes steps Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Because now Tom and Daisy are inside, and Gatsby is worried that Tom is going to do something stupid because mm-hmm. the whole affair has come out, and he's furious. Yes. So Gatsby is hanging out to make sure that Daisy's okay, which again is creepy and gross. Mm-hmm. Um, in that scene, you know, basically Nick is like, Gatsby, how the fuck did you not stop? You mm-hmm. know you hit someone. Mm-hmm. And Gatsby tells him that it wasn't me driving. Daisy was driving. Mm-hmm. And... I tried to get her to stop, and she wouldn't. She just kept going, and then finally collapsed, and I had to drive her home. That makes me hate Daisy. She knows she's hit somebody. I don't care what what emotional turmoil she's going through. You know you've hit somebody. Mm -hmm. You know someone is at the very least injured, Mm -hmm. and you kept going. And that also makes me hate Gatsby, because his reaction to this is to hide his car in his garage and Mm -hmm. tell his his butlers and everybody that nobody is to take the car out of the garage and his butler is like uh that car is damaged it needs some repair and he's like nobody is to take the car out he is fully going to just hide that he knows someone has died yeah and i hate gatsby for that too i'm I'm not at all that's not i'm sorry i shouldn't be just pillaring daisy Daisy, oh no 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 and i hate her too yeah you are correct i shouldn't be just attacking daisy there gatsby is just as shitty no, and I don't think you're just attacking Daisy, and I, I hate them both. But I've already um, said how much I hate Daisy, so... But so then we get we get on from that scene, and basically what happens after that is that Myrtle, that's the mistress's name. Right, right. Uh, her husband, George, the mechanic, mm-hmm. has basically gone around to every single shop between his and just all the way up Long mm-hmm. Island into Queens looking for a yellow car with damage because he wants to find this person. And finally he goes because he realizes, wait a minute, Tom was driving a yellow car yesterday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so he goes to Tom's house and is like, all right, what did you do to my wife, dude? Yes. And Tom, being the absolute dickhole that he is, just goes, oh, no, I'll tell you where the guy lives. Mm-hmm. And Gatsby, this is where he lives. Yeah. And I think even then gives him the gun. Or no, no, he showed up with the gun because he knew, because I think he pointed the gun at Tom, as, as Tom describes it, mm-hmm. and how much do we trust Tom's opinion. Anyway. And there, there's a scene, I think, earlier in the that where we get to see Myrtle's husband mm-hmm. talking with his neighbor who I think owns a restaurant or something yeah, restaurant and store. I think the gun is brought up either in that scene or an earlier scene okay. Tom, Tom does not own this gun this gun belongs to Myrtle's husband right okay that's right you're correct I, I, I got that confused but yeah so basically while pointing the gun at but Tom, Tom knows he has the gun yeah Tom knows he has a gun and Tom being the the absolute complete failure who peaked at 21 that he is yes tells him this is the guy's address this is where he lives it's his car mm-hmm. so the guy goes over this, this george goes over to gatsby's house and shoots gatsby while he's in his pool mm-hmm. and then shoots himself yes in the garden and then we get that funeral the whole long drawn out into the funeral which is long and drawn out it is so long and drawn out and yeah. no one shows up nobody except nobody for cares. gatsby's father yeah and we have found out earlier in the book, that's not Gatsby's name. Right. His name is Jay Gats or J- Jim Gats. And we're not entirely sure how he got his money because there's a whole long drawn out story about how he got his money that doesn't make sense. He gets his money from working with Meyer Wolfsheim. Meyer Wolfsheim is a characterization of Meyer Lansky. 
Mm. Do you know who Meyer Lansky was? No. Meyer Lansky was a Jewish gangster in the 20s. Okay. Who was known during the Prohibition era for being a liquor runner and a drug runner. Okay. Gatsby made his money working with Bullshot. Gatsby's a liquor runner. Okay. Absolutely. And we know and, he's a criminal of some sort because there's he, some allusion to something that happened in, like, Chicago. Right, where he left somebody upriver. Yeah, um, yeah. And Gatsby himself is a, a characterization of uh, Fitzgerald's his neighbor. Fitzgerald lived in a house on Long Island Sound, much like the one that, that the narrator lives in, mm-hmm. next to a giant mansion that belonged to, and I can't think of the guy's name, but he was a rum runner okay. in the 20s. Okay. That's who this is. So Gatsby's a rum runner. So I think what I've realized reading this book is if you have prohibition, you have people like Gatsby and Tom. And so we need to just legalize everything. Yes. Just make drugs legal. Yes. Because then there is nobody like Gatsby Mm -hmm. to get shot in his pool. Yes. Because to quote Homer Simpson, prohibition doesn't work. They tried it in the movies. (laughs) <laughs> they tried it in the movies. Yeah, I'm sorry. I like it's, that. It's, they tried Prohibition in the movies and it didn't work. <laughs> yes. But yeah, part, part of it is that Prohibition doesn't work and that the idle rich are completely stupid. Okay. Now. Yes. This is important. Yes. What the fuck happened to the dog? Yeah, they don't ever talk about that. It probably died. The girlfriend is dead. Mm-hmm. The... The boyfriend is dead, Tom. Or no, I guess yeah. Tom Tom and Daisy decide to just leave the city. Mm-hmm. Stay together and leave the city. Yep. Um, what about the dog? It's probably dead. What about the fucking dog? Why did you abandon that dog in that apartment? What about the fucking dog? It's probably dead, but I like to actually think that uh, the girlfriend's sister took it home with her. Okay, maybe the girlfriend's sister took the dog. Okay. Yeah. Or the, the photographer from downstairs came and got it. Yeah, maybe the gay photographer okay. took it. I'm just going to believe that this dog became the gay photographer's cute little purse dog. Mm-hmm. That he carries it around in his satchel, and the dog lived a very long, happy life with the gay photographer and his beard. Right. Okay. We'll go with that. We're going to go with that, because that makes this a good book. No, it doesn't. No, no. no. you this don't think so. This is still not a good book. You don't think so, but I do. Okay, so let's get to the ratings. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead and rate this book. Now, one or zero club, zero clubbings is this is a perfect book. Oh, one no. is it needs to be hit once or twice. It's, it's you know. And again, five clubbings is we're going to beat this to absolutely death. I'm going to go with one and a quarter. There oh. are things that could be improved. Okay. You are, you are correct. He could give more detail, even though I like the, the way that he lets your mind paint the picture. Okay. Um, and and I, think that, I think that Daisy needs to be a more developed character. Mm-hmm. You are correct. But I really do. I really love this book. And like I said, I've read this book five or six times. We'll probably read it five or six more. Okay, so I started with one rating and then changed my rating. Okay. I started actually with uh, three clubbings. Okay. Needs to be hit a few times. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not the worst book in the world, but it needs to be hit a few times. Three clubbings. Then I did a little research on the history of this book okay. and how this book became... A staple of classic literature. Why this is considered one of the greats of American literature. Okay. Do you know the history? Of how it got popular? No, not really. Okay, so the history of this book is when it was written, this was actually considered his worst work. So I went back, actually, and I have put a couple of Fitzgerald's other books on our list for later because these are the books that at the time that this book was written were considered to be much better written novels okay this one when it came out everyone hated it it had very few sales all of the people who reviewed it were like this is terrible this is very poorly written this is not a good book his other work is much better we know fitzgerald can do better okay Okay. then world war ii happens because this was written in 25 right World War II happens. America joins the war. America needs things to keep the troops overseas entertained. So they had this book reprinted in massive quantities and gave it to the soldiers in World War II. They had very few books available. This was one of the few books available. Those soldiers came back from World War II and started talking about what a wonderful work of fiction this was. This is the great American novel. 
all of those soldiers coming back became teachers and parents who forced their students and children to read this book and analyze this book because it was so wonderful. So all of these boomers and silent generation people with their PTSD forced it on their boomer children who they grew up to force it onto their Gen X children. And now we're all supposed to think it's great because the American government says this book was cheap enough that we can give it to the soldiers. Sure, sure. I think that that makes it a four clubbing. Okay. Because it wasn't a good book to start with and it was forced on us by a cheap government who didn't want to give their soldiers something better to do. Huh. So now it gets four clubbings. Okay. Yeah. And that's actually the history of that book. That's uh, how it became popular. I did not it realize It was the that. reviewers after World War II coming back from the war that were like, no, this book is great. We read it a whole bunch of times. Because they didn't have a lot of other books to read. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's popular. Hmm. Yeah. And see, I think there are better books that came from those guys that came back from World War II. I think so, too. For example, Everything Vonnegut wrote. I think there are some amazing books that came from that time period. Yeah. And I think there's also some terrible books. Oh, there's a lot of but terrible books. There's anyway. a lot of terrible books any generation. There's right. going to be bad books. Yeah. And we're going to talk about them. Stephanie Myers, I'm looking at you. Oh, my God, yes. yes. And I I know that you're, you're not going to agree with me, but I am going to say the Harry Potter books get into that. No, they're not... They are not what the other Harry Potter fans make them out to be. They are lovely little pieces of brain candy. Yes, they're fun little YA fiction. Yeah. That's and, all they are. And that's how I have always described those books, because I've actually read those books several times, mm-hmm. and I have described them as brain candy. Mm-hmm. They're the books that I read when I want to read something, but I don't want to think too much. Right. No, and, and, I just want something simple and entertaining and... And you know. I think they're fun. I think they're a great book to get, like, a 10 or 11-year-old into reading. See, and I think there are better books for that. Oh, sure. Agreed. But, yeah, they're not great books. They're not. And she's no. a fucking turf and fuck J.K. Rowling. She is a turf and a racist and fuck her. Yeah. Fuck her all the way and I will tear apart her books just because I hate her. Right. Agreed. Okay. So anyway, Anyways. that is the that that is our Great Gatsby episode. Uh-huh. Uh, this will probably be our first official episode, but we're gonna record a few more and then decide what the order is. Yeah. So the listeners might hear these out of order. So yeah. anyway, Great Gatsby, go read it. Tell mm-hmm. us how much you hate it. Tell us how much you love Daisy, and make David happy. Yeah. Okay. Have a good night. Bye, y'all.